Let me tell you, and I'll tell you as I continue to take us into the Word of God this morning, I'll explain to you what God is saying and what God is doing in our church and in our lives this year, but uh, I want to build up your uh, faith and build up your expectation in, in the Lord here today. And so uh, we're going to dive right into Romans chapter 3. Before we do, we like to, uh, not every Sunday, but many Sundays, we like to declare to God that we believe His Word and that we're going to open our hearts to His Word. And so if we could put up our Bible declaration up there, Sam, and uh, if you could all take your Bibles, if you don't have one, just steal it from your neighbor or something like that, or, uh, but uh, if we can put it up there, and we'll say this all together with faith, just really prepares our hearts to receive from God, all right? So are you guys ready to receive from the Lord today? Amen? All right, let's say this, one, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that'll change my life forever. Amen. So Lord, we we invite you to change our life through your word. So in Romans chapter 3, right there in Romans chapter 3, very familiar verse for many of you, in verse uh, 22, I'm sorry, verse, verse 22 and 23, start there in verse 23, Romans 3, 23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on in verse 24 saying, says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Many of you know that the book of Romans, it's a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome in the early in the early. Uh, and he was explaining to them the gospel, right? He was explaining to them the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And he uses this word, you'll notice. I got this thing here. It's going to bother me. Here we go. He, um, he uses this word, justified, right? He starts out with the problem. Chapter 3 is his summary of the problem that we all face. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem that all of us as human beings face, the fact that we have not believed God's word as a general population, right, <laughs> until, we, until we've come to know him. We've all not believed his word. We've all not done his will. The Bible says all of us have gone astray, each of us to our own way. People say, well, I'm a good person. But we as human beings, we've rebelled against God and God's will. That's the, that's the issue, that God is king that God's ways are right, and we have done what we thought was right in our own hearts. And in rebelling against Him, that's what sin is, right? It says that we fell short of the glory of God. We were created to live in the glory of God, to be in His presence, to be in relationship with God. But the Bible says that we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible then goes on in Romans chapter 6, Paul says the wages of that sin is death. That basically what that sin did is it brought a separation between us and God, us and our relationship with God, And ultimately, because God is life, when we got disconnected from God's, uh, from God, we were disconnected from life. A lot of times, I'll give that. I'll just give a simple illustration. Like, if you uh, disconnect a toaster, it's not going to work anymore. We were created in the image of God, 
And we were created as his creatures to be his kids. But when we disconnected ourselves from him and started doing things in our own way and we sinned, it says we fell short of the glory of God and the wage of that sin is death, meaning that we disconnected from God. So we still look like a, you know, the toaster still looks like a toaster, but it's not going to work unless it's plugged in. And so we still are the people that God created. We're still made in his image. And yet, because we've become disconnected from him, we fall into all sorts of sins and bondage and brokenness that we see in our own lives, we see in the world today. But then he says, being justified freely by his grace. Being justified freely by his grace. What he's saying is that because of what Jesus has done, right? Jesus was crucified, shed his blood, that by that, in verse 25, Paul calls it the propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation is just a big word. I won't go too deep into it, but basically Jesus took our place. He died our death. He took our sin upon himself, and he was the substitute for us. Somebody had to pay the price. Somebody had to die for sin. And so that's why you see that Jesus had to die. He had to become a human being. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, Jesus took our sin into his own body to die for that sin to satisfy the justice of God to satisfy the righteous requirements of God for those who have sinned against him. And by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, he died our death. He dealt with the sin issue, didn't he? So that he could make us right with God. And that's exactly what the word justification means. Right here it says being justified free by his grace. Meaning that something that we couldn't do in our own human effort, God did for us. Grace free gift that God offers to us. And the word justified, again, I won't go too deeply into the the meaning of it, but bottom line is that justified means that we've been made right with God, that all of our sins are forgiven, that the justice of God is satisfied, and we go free from the penalty of sin. So we, because of Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross, we have been justified. Some people will often say, just as if I'd never sinned. You've heard that before, just as if I'd never sinned. We've been justified, been made right with God. You'll actually hear it described in Romans 4, if you'll just go to the next chapter. King David is praising God, and uh, Paul quotes King David here. In verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That those who willfully rebel against God and against his ways, that they're forgiven. He says, blessed is that person who's been forgiven. He goes on, whose sins are covered, meaning like washed away, done away with. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom, that would include women, right? Blessed is the person, blessed is the man or woman, to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Meaning impute, meaning not credit it to someone's account. So imagine that each one of us, you have a, you all, most of you have a, have a physical financial bank account, right? But imagine you had a spiritual bank account. And, and, and what's happened is, when we've sinned against the Lord, we literally, it's as if we've gone into spiritual debt and bankruptcy. It's like we owe God billions of dollars. Someone's got to pay the debt. 
And, and so what, 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 this, uh, what Paul's saying is that Jesus, because Jesus paid the price, God is both just and the justifier of those who put their trust in Jesus. That by putting our trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood that he shed, by he's basically saying, oh, thank you for paying the price for me. I'll take that, right? By accepting his free gift, his offer to pay our debt, our debt's canceled, we are totally forgiven, and we're made right with God. And I love what King David says, blesses the man whom God will not impute sin to. He won't credit that sin to our account. And what's amazing about this in the Greek is that it says, shall not impute sin. It's actually like a double negative in the Greek. It's a double negative. It basically, it says like, not never impute sin in the Greek. If you were to like go into the Greek and kind of unpack that, not never well, obviously for us, that, that would be a double negative in our language, but in the Greek, what it was is an emphatic statement that it would never, ever, ever, ever be imputed to our account. So what's happened is, did, I, did you catch what I said earlier? 2 Corinthians 5, it says that he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That literally, by faith, by trusting in Jesus' sacrifice, he imparts, or I should say, you should use, I, I should use that word, imputes righteousness, his righteousness, his perfection, his sinlessness, he imputes it to our account. So that when God looks at the ledger, when he looks at our spiritual bank account, he doesn't see sin anymore, he sees Christ's righteousness. Amen? That's what it means to be justified. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. He took our sin that we deserved punishment for, he gave us Christ's righteousness, imputing that to our account. And I love what David says, blessed is that person whom God will never, not ever, impute that sin to our account. And then you see that concept of being made right with God there in chapter 5, verse 1. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Right? Do you see what I, all that I just said? He just says in that little word there. Having been forgiven having our sin taken away and his righteousness imputed to our account by trusting in Jesus. Well, listen to what he says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The righteousness of God has been satisfied. Therefore, those who have been made right with God, they're at peace with God. He adopts us as his kids. He's not angry anymore, but he delights in us. We don't have to be afraid that God is going to kick us out of the family, that God's going to get tired of us and just be done with us. No, he says we have peace with God. We don't have to earn his favor. We don't have to try to get God to like us, right? We don't have to like put on a show and pretend to be good people, right? We don't have to be nice little boys and girls so that daddy will like us. We don't have to, you know, put on an act and, 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 and lie to dad and lie to our brothers and sisters and act like we're good but really on the inside we got stuff going on. We have to act like we're good so that dad won't be mad at us. You know, oh, don't tell dad because if dad finds out, he's just going to be really mad. No, we have peace with God. Of course, he knows everything anyways, right? So he, knowing all of our sin, when we come to Jesus, when we trust Jesus, he takes all that sin away and he gives us his righteousness. The Bible says in Hebrews that he died once for all, meaning that his Death, the blood he shed was absolutely sufficient. He doesn't have to die again. 
past, present, and future, all of your sins, you're made right with God, you have peace with God. Amen? So you, who have put your trust in Jesus, you are righteous. You've been justified. God has imparted Jesus' righteousness to your account, and he sees you, not as a sinner, he sees you washed in the blood, clothed in his righteousness, he sees you right with God. And you have peace with God. And so Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin. The penalty being death, the penalty being eternal separation from God. We're free from that, amen? We can be confident that God loves us and accepts us, not because of our own merits, not because of our own righteousness, not because of anything we've ever done, but because of Jesus' righteousness, yeah? Yes? That's our confidence before the Lord. That's our confidence before God, that we will spend eternity with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And he already died, yes? And he's already paid the price. It's already finished. And those of you of us who have put our trust in Jesus, it's like receiving the gift. The gift's already been paid for. Often I'll tell people, you know, it's like, it's like if I bought you a car. The car's down at the dealership. You don't have to pay me for it. You don't have to do anything for it. The car's down at the dealership. What do you need to do, though? You need to go, believe me and go down and pick up your car. And it's the same thing. If, you, if you're here today and you've not put your trust in Jesus, it really is simply that. The Bible says that those who confess Jesus as Lord, make him their Lord, and believe that Jesus died and rose again, real simple, it's like receiving a gift. You just say, thank you, I received that gift. And it's by trusting Jesus that that exchange is made, right? He takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. But he didn't just free us from the penalty of sin. He didn't just free us from the penalty of sin. See, Paul goes on in Romans 6, I'm sorry, at the end of Romans 5, and he makes a statement here. He says in verse 21 of chapter 5, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, let me back up here. Verse 20. Get the context here. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But listen, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. So do you see what Paul says in chapter 5? He says, he says, there's some of you here who say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Well, I don't, but Jesus does, right? God does, he's the judge. He said, you don't know what I've done, and I'm not worthy, and, 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 and all this stuff. And so Paul says, you've got to understand, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. But what about all the bad stuff that's happened in this world? What about all the bad things that people do? Where sin abounded, grace all the more. What Paul's saying is that no matter how much you and I have sinned or will sin, the grace is more. Right? So you say, well, I've got like a billion dollars debt. Well, that's all right, because God's grace is like trillions. Oh, well, I've got trillions of debt. Oh, that's all right, because God's got even more grace, right? I don't even know what the word would be, right? Too, much, too many uh, zeros for me to count. No matter how many zeros you've got behind your sin, he's got more zeros, right? His grace is stronger, bigger than your sin. That's what Paul's saying. So where sin abounded, grace abounds more, right? But I... Right? You say, but I, what does the word say? But God, right? But I did, yeah, but God did, right? 
The cross is sufficient sacrifice, died once for all, to deal with the penalty of sin. And then Paul goes on in Romans 6, and he spends Romans 6 through 8 dealing with one particular issue. Romans 6 through 8, and it's really where we're going to be focusing in, uh, primarily for the next number of weeks to really understand what Paul is getting at here in Romans 6 through 8. He asks a question that many people ask. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, every once in a while you'll find that people do that. Well, oh, well, I mean, God, he died for my sin, so I can just do whatever I want, right? Well, Paul says, what? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about, right? And most of us know this. He says, what shall we say? Shall we sin? Shall we continue in sin may abound? Certainly not. He's saying, he's saying he, somebody, there are people like that. I, I don't think necessarily uh, here, but there are people like that. Oh, well, I mean, if, if sin... If grace abounds, and, and I, I, I can just do whatever I want, right? And Paul says, what? No, you, no. Well, I can just keep sinning. It doesn't really matter. At the end of my life, I'll just ask for forgiveness. No. Paul's like, that's ridiculous. And he goes on, and he begins to explain something, something very profound about what Jesus did at the cross. So listen to what he says here, and we'll explain it. He says, what shall we say then, verse 1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You hear what Paul just said? It might sound a little foreign to us because we're talking about the kingdom of God here. We're not talking about human principles. We're not talking about positive thinking. We're not talking about things that our culture tells us about. If you want to live according to the principles and concepts and values of this culture, you'll be living outside of what God has for us. You can't inherit the kingdom except by faith in Jesus. What Paul talks about here in Romans 6, it's the kingdom breaking into this world. It's what Jesus has provided for at the cross. And so it sounds a little foreign if all you've heard all your life is things that this world has told you, this system has told you, this culture has told you. But you've got to tune your ears in to hear what Paul just said. And then he goes on to explain it. In fact, he explains it for three chapters because it's so tough for us to understand. He tells us later that we need our minds to be renewed because now as citizens of heaven, we've got to learn to walk in a completely new way because something has happened to us because of what Jesus did at the cross. Notice what he says. How, verse 2, how, Shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Now, he's not making that statement as a statement of condemnation. Like, so those of you who are struggling, man, you're just not a real Christian. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that at all. He's not telling you about something you should do or something you should be. He's telling you something that Jesus has done for you. Can you earn forgiveness? No, right? You've got to receive forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard to believe that we're totally forgiven, yeah? It's hard sometimes to wrap our minds around the fact that God would love us with such unfailing love, that the creator of the universe who's absolutely righteous, the king of kings, would actually die for us to make us right with himself. And that's a lot of love, yeah? That's kind of hard to wrap our minds around that. But he didn't just take away the penalty of sin. He didn't just free us from the penalty of sin. You realize what Paul is saying right here. He says that we died to sin. Died to sin. What does that mean? He goes on to explain that when you and I put our trust in Jesus and we're baptized in water, and by the way, it's not the water that makes you saved or anything. If you've not been baptized in water, it's not like you're less than Christian, but we do want to see you baptized in water. That is what he's talking about here. Baptism in water is a, is a public declaration of your uh, allegiance to Jesus as Lord and your faith. So we'll get you baptized in water. But listen, what he's saying, when you put your trust in the Lord, you're baptized in water. He says that you were literally united with Christ. What happened was, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. He explains this in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit came inside of you and gave you Jesus' righteousness and you literally became united with Christ. He says it in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Man, I'm telling you, these are some powerful things that Paul's saying. He's either wacky or he's, he understands something that we need to catch, right? You notice what he just said? He says, you guys got to understand something here about the cross. That when Jesus died, it wasn't just to free you from the penalty of sin. It was to free you from the power of sin. It wasn't just so that you could be forgiven, but that you could be free from the very power that was oppressing you and enslaving you and keeping you from God. I mean, I'm telling you, God is brilliant if you think about it, right? Imagine, right, because of our sin, okay, imagine like that you just did some dumb stuff, right, and you find yourself in jail, right? Find yourself on death row. God doesn't just free us from the jail. Like, here you go, I forgive you, now you don't have to, you know, go to the death penalty, you're acquitted, right? Somebody else took your place. I mean, it's amazing grace right there. He didn't just do that. Instead, God is brilliant, right? He knows that it's our dumb choices that have gotten us in this mess. It's our unbelief, it's our sin, it's our rebellion, it's our foolishness that has gotten us into this mess, right? 
I mean, if somebody were in jail, and they were not innocent, right? If they did it, they'd be in jail because they made those choices. I mean, I think it's hilarious. It actually makes, I actually laugh whenever I hear people use the phrase correctional facility. <laughs> That's funny. Correctional facility ain't correcting nothing. We all know that, man, do we have very, very full jails in America and especially in California, right? And they are not doing anything to rehabilitate people. I mean, they try, I'm sure some of them, they try their best, they do their best, but come on, we know they are not correctional facilities. Think about we as Americans, what kind of TV shows generally Americans watch? Get the bad guy, throw him in jail, right? Because we want justice, we want revenge, we want those types of things. God's so brilliant that he doesn't just deal with the penalty of sin so that we could come home to him and have eternal life. He deals with the power of sin. He actually crucifies the very source of the problem, our own selfishness, foolishness, and rebellion. Isn't that brilliant? So the very thing that gets us into trouble, the very thing that causes us to make bad choices and leads us into death, he dealt with at the cross. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? That the cross is so sufficient that he didn't just deal with the penalty of sin, he dealt with the power of sin so that you're not just forgiven, you are absolutely free. Yeah? Anyone else excited about this? Now, it's sometimes hard to believe that we're forgiven, but it's also sometimes hard to believe that we're actually free. Listen, Christ's righteousness in you is not just you being right with God. Christ's righteousness in you is literally his life and character and power dwelling inside of you, him inside of you, empowering you to become like him. Righteousness is actually an ability given to you, not just a position. Oftentimes we'll talk about that. Justification, righteousness, is that we are positionally right with God. Amen. You are positionally right with God because of the grace of God. But listen, righteousness is the power of God. It's the power of God. Romans 1 says that, that the righteousness of God, it is his power, though the gospel, I should say. The gospel is the power of God to save all those who believe because in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed, literally given to us, imputed to us. It's like if you were in debt and then somebody were to give you not just the money to be free from the debt, but more money every day, right? Here's a check every day. That gives you what? Buying power. You no longer have to be in debt anymore, but now you have buying power. He wants to deliver you and me from the oppression of sin, from the bondage and the slavery that these things bring us into. He wants to free us from the very things that destroy our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, that hurt us emotionally, spiritually, financially, all that stuff. He wants to free us, and what has he done? He has provided for that freedom at the cross. The cross, the blood of Jesus, is sufficient. It's sufficient, amen? He doesn't have to die again to set you free from sin. He's made a promise to finish what he started in you, and he doesn't have to die again. He's already made the provision for you to be free. And that's what Paul's saying here in Romans 6. He says you have died to sin. Died to it. I mean that when you put your trust in Jesus, when he died, you died. 
Now, when I say you died, I don't mean like your spirit, the real you, but rather the old man, what Paul calls the old man. Another time he calls it the body of sin. Listen to what he says here. So in verse 2, he says you died to sin, right? And then he says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, our old man was crucified with Jesus. Then he tells you what that old man is, the body of sin. He's talking about all those desires, habits, thoughts, inclinations that lead us away from the will of God, right? Those compulsive behaviors, those addictions, those wrong ways of thinking, those lies that we believe. That's what he means by the body of sin, that the value system of this world that is anti-God, those desires and those, and those impulses and things like that, those habits, those ways of thinking that lead us away from the Lord. You know, when we talk to kids, we'll tell kids that sin is anything that we think, say, or do that displeases God. We could also add that brings brokenness to us. It's really all that sin is. Sin is not some religious word. Well, I mean, maybe for many people it is. But a lot of times when I talk to people about sin, I just say that which is unwhole, or unhealthy, that which is not whole, that which is broken, that which is not love. It's really simple in that sense. So when we talk to kids or we talk to people, it's simple to say that. But I, I've told adults that before, and sometimes they're like, oh, <laughs> you know? ouch. Anything I think, say, or do that displeases God. But I'll tell you, anything that displeases God is also what brings brokenness to us. His ways are only good and always good. He only created us, only made commands, only made promises for our good. All the ways of God are good and right. And so it's when we don't believe that that is true and we do it our way that we get into a lot of trouble. But notice what he's saying here. We died to sin. Our old man was crucified with him. Do you notice the past tense here? Do you notice that it's past tense? Do you notice that it doesn't say, if you're a good Christian, you would crucify your flesh, brother? Do you notice that? Good Christians, they put to death their sin. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. But guess what? I don't know what it is, but for some reason when Christians read the Bible, that's what they hear. You can't earn forgiveness and you can't earn your freedom. You, it's not your righteousness that makes you right with God, and it's not your righteousness that gives you the power over sin. It is His righteousness, His life, and His power in you. So that it's something He has already done, already paid for, and when you put your trust in Jesus, you are united with Christ, and your old man, that all those wrong ways of thinking, all those wrong ways of talking, all those wrong ways of relating, all those wrong ways of dealing with money or relationships or sex or whatever it is, has been crucified to the cross. And you have died to that sin. You are free from its power, meaning you're not its slave anymore. You're not under its oppression. You're not under its bondage. You, you're not expected to obey it anymore. Sometimes we feel like, well, I've got to. Sometimes we stay in bad relationships we stay in habits because, well, I've always lived there. And that's just the way it, 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 I've done it, right? You are free from that bondage. You are free from that expectation. You are free from that, and you are free to now live the life God has called you to live. I love it in, in, um, in uh, 1 Peter 4. He says it this way. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. You hear that? We died. He took our sin so that we would die to that sin and live for righteousness. Or 2 Corinthians 5, that says, um, Behold, your new creation. Old has passed away. The new has come. He says, literally, he says, Behold, all things have become new. But literally, that old stuff of sin has passed away, and you've been ushered into a new life, a life where Christ's righteousness dwells in you. Or in 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Through knowing Him, through putting our trust in Him and coming into an intimate relationship with Him, through that knowledge of Him, we receive the power of God, literally divine power, His power, which is His His righteousness, to give us anything and everything we need for life and godliness, so that we can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why we can say that. Because nothing is impossible to God. And therefore, through His power, His love, and His righteousness, we can do all that He's called us to. In Isaiah 61, Jesus is uh, it's prophesying about Jesus' ministry. And we know that He quoted this in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus says this about His own ministry. Listen, He says, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison for those who are bound. You was saying? That's the ministry of Jesus. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth. That's what he continues to do. Free people from that prison and bring healing to their hearts. See, the reality is all of us can relate. You may not use the word sin, but all of us can relate to things that we struggle with things that hinder us, things that keep us from becoming who we were created to be. In fact, so often, the struggles that all of us face as human beings are so common that we use phrases like, well, I'm just a human being. We say things like, well, it's, it's normal. It's normal. We'll tell people, well, it, it's just it's normal for you to struggle with that, or it's normal for me to struggle with that because you're, you're just a human being, right? We'll, we'll say that. We'll say things like, well, death is just a normal part of life. I'm not really sure what, what part of death is a normal part of life. That's what I'm saying. We pick up these f- concepts from our culture, but we're not to think like our culture. We're to think like the, king, the people of God's kingdom, Right? The Bible says death is an enemy of God that Jesus has dealt with at the cross so we could have eternal life. Death is not a normal part of life, nor is sin. You were created to be in the image of God. Sin is an enemy of this creation and has brought brokenness. A lot of times what happens is we live so long, so many years with fear, with lack, maybe lack of wisdom, regarding our finances, and so we just get used to debt, maybe so long with pain in our bodies that we just begin to think, that's life, that's normal. But you've got to understand, it's not. It's a result of the sin that has come into this world through us. 
It's because of demonic things that are going on in this world. But what Jesus has done has freed us from those things. You know, maybe it's that for you, you can't control your anger. Just, you just get angry. And maybe it's your words that you end up saying mean things to people or, or, or hurtful things to people. You know, not just cussing or something like that, but just really hurtful. Maybe it's that. You just, I, I don't have control of my tongue. I don't, I don't have control of my anger. Or maybe for others, it's, it's just this crippling feeling of insecurity, which isn't necessarily sin, but it's rooted in lies, right? Fear that causes sometimes one person, it causes them to procrastinate or be lazy. Fear or insecurity that keeps, oftentimes, I know I talk to some men sometimes, that just keeps them from really stepping out into maybe their ministry or into an occupation. And so often we just settle, don't we? Sometimes it's fear of, of, uh, 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 of getting out of an unhealthy relationship. Oftentimes I've seen people will I- embrace brokenness in a relationship or they'll allow themselves to be hurt or they'll continue to, to stay in debt because that's what's familiar. I remember talking to a girl one time, just a teenage girl, about the Lord and I remember sharing the gospel with her, and we were talking, had a great conversation. But when I asked her, I, I, this has always stuck in my mind, of all the people I've talked to about the Lord, and I remember asking her, I mean, do you, do you want that? Do you want the freedom, the forgiveness that you know, Jesus paid for? And her, her response was so interesting. She, she totally acknowledged that it was, that it was awesome and, and even maybe potentially true. She, she even acknowledged that she'd seen God change people's lives. Like some of her friends were genuine Christ followers. So that was always nice. It's always nice when you talk to somebody who actually has a witness. Okay? And, but I remember her saying, no, I feel like if I let go of the life I'm living, I'll be letting go of that and I'll have nothing. Right? I'm sure it was friends or other things and lifestyle she was living. There's some specifics, right? And, and I, it just always stuck in my mind that she would rather stay in the familiar and step out into the freedom that God has. Some of us, Jesus has flung open the door of the jail. He's declared you forgiven and free. And some of us are still staying in the jail because we feel comfortable there. We feel comfortable sometimes with our fears, our insecurities, or with our anger. You know, maybe it's things that have happened to you, tragedies that have just caused you to be stuck, maybe stuck in sorrow or stuck in, in depression. Sometimes we live in a place of loss. It's not that those tragedies weren't hurtful or hard, but sometimes we just stay in that place where we literally, some people, somebody has hurt them, and that person's dead, and we continue to allow them to torment us. Because we, right? Sometimes it's bitterness and unforgiveness that is bondage to us and keeps us enslaved, literally, to the past. I know many times for us, for people, it's shame. It's things that we've done in the past or things that have been done to us. And it's like, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. That's a bondage, isn't it? To actually stay in a place consistently where I can't go into the fullness of God because of shame, because I'm not worthy, or because I can't forgive myself. Do you see? These are bondages. Does that make sense? These are the things that Jesus died for to set us free from. If you, if, 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 really do, we really don't have to go very far to understand when Paul says you've died to sin. I mean, if you if really, just listen to what the, 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 the uh, works of the flesh are. 
Listen to this. Paul just like lists it one time. He says, these are the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I remember one time I read that to a new believer. I mean, I wasn't, tr- I wasn't even trying to focus on it. I just read that and I was moving on to let's walk in the Spirit stuff. And he said, well, it's like describing my life, you know? It's true. We've all lived there. I mean, well, I don't know about all of us. I know I've lived there. I'm like, oh, ouch, ew, ow, wow, you know what I'm saying? Uncleanness, envy, where you're comparing yourself to others. It's a bondage that keeps you from ever enjoying your blessing. Like comparing to others and judging others and envy. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. Paul talks about other ones that like covetousness, always this d- deceit that wealth will solve my problem, the love of money, the greed that drives us forward. And, right? Listen to what Jesus says. He talks about these things that come out of our heart. And he says, he says, these are the things that come out of our heart. From our heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornifications, murders, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, which is basically envy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, right? There's foolishness in our hearts so often when it comes to our relationships. We just are like, I just have no idea what to do with this relationship. Some people, they just self-destruct relationships because they have no idea what to do with the relationship. They don't know how to bring it to resolution. They're like, I just want peace, so they'll just get out because they don't have wisdom from God. That foolishness is bondage, it's sin. Or Jesus says evil thoughts. Maybe some of, us, some of you, you may struggle with just thoughts that are crazy. Thoughts maybe of self-hatred, suicidal thoughts that you're just like, oh, where did that come from? Or, 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 or uh, thoughts of just wanting to hurt somebody that has hurt you. Or impure thoughts, you just your mind's going crazy and you're thinking about maybe some other man or some other woman that you shouldn't be thinking about and you're just thinking, oh, my thoughts are out of control. You notice Paul mentioned adulteries, right, which would be if you're married, cheating on your spouse, but fornifications, which would mean just any other kinds of sexual morality. Man, sexual morality has been a struggle for people since Adam and Eve, you know? I mean, my goodness, you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, you think, my goodness, Sexual morality, it's such, it's such a, a, a difficult thing as Christians for us to understand our own sexuality, to walk in purity, to get control of some of those desires and habits and things that we do with our body and in relationship. Obviously, sex is to be meant for in the context of marriage between a husband and wife. And in that purity, it's beautiful and it's powerful, but it just gets so distorted, doesn't it? It gets so messed up and our culture has all, this, all the media tempting us and stuff. And so to be able to, for men, for example, or women to get in control of their eyes, get what they're control of what they're looking at, what they're thinking about, control of their bodies. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Do you see what I'm saying? What, th- again, this isn't meant to, for, for condemnation. What I'm saying is Jesus says this stuff is coming from our hearts. Paul says this is our flesh. But what did he already just say? What did Paul just say? You died to that sin. The power... Or I should say the problem is not outside of us. The problem is on the inside of us. And what, what, what Paul is saying is that Jesus has already cut off the source of that problem, the power of sin. You have died to sin. So when you hear that list, things like fortification or lust or greed, 
Some of you may be relating. Does that make sense? I, I understand. Paul wasn't saying that Christians don't struggle with this stuff. He was saying that you have been freed from it. So when you hear that list, like things like pride or foolishness, or when you, you, you might say, man, I, yeah, I really relate. I, I have this fear in relationships, and I don't trust people. And so maybe you don't let people in, and you're literally living in a bondage of a lack of trust or a lack of openness. And there's not a freedom or a trust in your relationships. What does the Lord want to do? That's the very thing that you've died to. Do you hear what I'm saying? We've got to put a name to it. Does it make sense? What is the thing that you're longing for freedom from? You want to see overcome. And again, you may not call it sin, but maybe there's fear, or maybe there's pride, or maybe there is some hurt or some brokenness from your past. Maybe there is this anxiety. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your future. And you just don't, you're not at rest. You're just constantly struggling with anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. The Lord wants to free you from that. And he has provided for that. So when it says that you have died to sin, put a name to it. That means you've died to pride. You've died to that lust. You've died to that fear or anxiety. You have died to the power of that desire or that addiction or that compulsive behavior. Jesus has crucified it at the cross. Amen? That's really what the word of the Lord is for this year. The Lord is saying, this is a year of breakthrough and of victory and of freedom. It's a year where many of us are going to step the promises that God has for us. We're going to move into our promised land. It's like, if you can imagine from the Old Testament stories, freedom from Egypt and moving into Canaan land, the promised land. This is a year of freedom, and it starts right here, right today. New year and a new thing that God is doing. See, this is the year where God is going to bring restoration to many of you. You know, I, I've, been, I've been using that, that uh, count metaphor, and literally the Lord is, is, is saying, I'm going to break off financial debt. I'm going to bring restoration to people financially, but it, it goes way more beyond financial. Spiritual, that maybe you've been sowing into things and you've not seen the return on your investment. Could be financial, but um, could be relational. Could be somebody that you're praying that they would come to know the Lord. I sense that in my spirit. There's people you've been praying for. There's promises that you have from the Lord. And the Lord is saying, this is the year you'll see a return on your investment. That what you've sown into, you're going to reap that harvest. The Lord is saying, you're going to step into your promises. The Lord is saying, you're going to step out of that bondage. That's why we're starting right here, the first Sunday of the year, on a message that you have overcome because Jesus has overcome. That's where this whole thing begins. Now, this, this whole series, I'm going to literally walk us into understanding the battle that we're in, because it's a battle. I'm going to help us to understand what it looks like to walk in the Spirit from Romans 6 through 8. But also, we're going to deal with very specific things. We're going to see what the Word has to say about freedom from things like anger or lust or anxiety and fear. Because, again, it's not like just some general ambiguous thing called sin. No, sin is literally these specific things like pride. And the Lord wants you to understand what he has done for you and he wants you to learn the principles in the word of God of how to walk in freedom and victory and overcome these things. 
Now, for some of you, it could be something that you've lived in for years. It could be something that your family has lived in for years. For some of you, it might just be something that, man, I just want, I just, I just want to overcome this thing, you know, and I want more of the fruit of the Spirit in this area of my life. And it could be just something that maybe last year you were hurt in some areas, and you want to overcome that and step into some healing. That's why it says in Isaiah 61, he came to heal the brokenhearted. The Lord does not want you to stay in a place of brokenness. He wants you to move into a place of wholeness. And that's why... Uh, <clears throat> Why the Lord is inviting us to step out of that brokenness, right? out of that bondage, and into that place of freedom, into that place of wholeness. That's what this year is about. This year is about this freedom, but it's also about taking possession of our promises, taking possession of our promised land. <clears throat> and I know that the Lord is going to restore hope to you. He's going to restore joy to you. Sometimes the very thing that we need freedom from is despair and hopelessness. Sometimes we've lived in that bondage for so long that even to hear this message can be hard. To believe and to grab hold of the hope that the Word says, I have died to sin, and to grab hold of that and to believe it, sometimes that's the very thing we need to overcome, is the unbelief. Can you believe that? That the Lord would set you free even from the unbelief so that you could believe this Word and apply it to your life, amen? But I'm not just, this isn't just Bible verses I'm going to give you. This is a prophetic word from the Lord. And this is something that God has walked me through in so many areas. When I tell you, when I, when I read those lists, like the, the works of the flesh, and the stuff that comes out of our heart, I tell you, the Lord has confronted me on so many of those things. So many of those things I've lived in for years. And yet the Lord, one by one, has set me free. The principles I'm going to be teaching you are prophetically from the Lord, but they're things that I have applied to my life. And I'll, and I'll talk to you more about that. But things like envy, things like insecurities that have paralyzed me, things like lust, things like anger, the Lord has worked powerfully and continues to work in my life. But, but, it's, but listen, it's not because, oh, I'm a good Christian. It's because the power of His righteousness has set me free from these things. And I'm going to share with you what God has done in my life, and I'm going to prophesy the word of God to you so that you can see how is it that I can overcome these things. Amen? Let me, let me end with this. There's this, uh, there's this thing in the Old Testament, one of the laws called the Jubilee. Jubilee. It's very interesting. After 50 years, every 50 years, the nation of Israel would, were supposed to celebrate what's called a jubilee year. A jubilee year. Now, historically, we don't think they ever did. But it's a brilliant economic strategy, by the way, those of you who are economists and fighting for justice. It's brilliant because it keeps the rich from getting rich and oppressing the poor and the poor from getting poor. It's a brilliant economic strategy. But on the, on the Day of Atonement, which is significant, right? The Day of Atonement which Jesus fulfilled by dying on the cross for our sins. On the Day of Atonement, a trumpet would be blown and a declaration would go forth, which Isaiah 61 fulfills, proclaiming liberty to the captives, people who were in debt slavery, people who were in bondage, and people who had lost their land, their promised land, their inheritance. And the declaration would go forth and a trumpet would be sounded and everyone 
who had been in debt slavery, every debt canceled, they were released from slavery, and they were able to go back to their inheritance and return to their land. That's amazing, isn't it? Like I said, it's a brilliant economic strategy. But listen, Jesus has fulfilled it. He'll continue to fulfill it. But he has fulfilled it. He is the Jubilee. That's what Isaiah 61 is all about. He is the one who sets the captives free. He is the one who ushers in the grace of God and proclaims freedom and brings us into our promised land. But can you imagine being that person who had been for years in debt and a servant of somebody else? Can you imagine maybe even being the kid, the son of your dad? Maybe your dad, because of foolishness, lost his land and you were raised as someone else's servant because of your father's debt. Many of us struggle with things because of our parents. Can you imagine being that person? For year after year after year after year after year, you continue to be in that debt. Year after year after year, you don't own your own land. But then one day, the Day of Atonement, it's the 50th year, one day you hear the trumpet blow. You know. You know what the law says. And you know that that trumpet is the declaration, you are free and you get to go back to your land. How would you feel? Boy, that'd be kind of exciting, wouldn't it? Now, what do you need to do? You need to get up. Thank you, uh, Master, for you know, taking care of me. And you're going to go back to your city and you're going to go to the elders of the people and you've got to tell them, I'm ready to receive my land. But listen, the trumpet blowing is the declaration, it's done The old has passed, the new has come. Does it make sense? It's the declaration, debts canceled, slavery freed, you can go back to your land. But you got to get up and you got to go to that land and you've got to tell them, you've got to open the law, if you will, you've got to open the word and say, it says right here I get my land back. See, today you're hearing the proclamation. I am prophetically declaring to you the trumpet has been sounded. It is finished. Jesus paid the price. He freed you from the penalty and the power of sin. I am proclaiming it to you. Every freedom begins with a proclamation. Every miracle in the Bible begins with a proclamation. You have the choice of whether or not to believe it or not. But if you understand the law... You understand the word of God, you understand that when that trumpet is sounded, when the proclamation goes forth, it's as good as done. Yeah, you got to go up and you got to tell them, I'm ready to receive my land. You got to work your land. There's some work to be done. And I'm going to teach you how to live these principles out to see this victory. But listen, the proclamation is being made. Do you, do you flow with me? How's that sound? Does that sound good? Does that sound victory sound good? Breakthrough sound good? Is there something in your life that you want freedom from? Is there something you want to see overcome? Is there something where you want to see breakthrough and you want to move into your promised land? Because if you do, this is what God is going to do in your life. And I am saying to you, in my statement right now, it's like a trumpet is blowing. And some of you who have lived in despair, or some of you who have struggled to believe God, or some of you who have said, I've tried this before and I failed, 
Some of you need to just hear the trumpet blow. It's not about you. It's about what he's done at the cross. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's promised in his word. It's his power that he's made available to you. Hear the trumpet blow today. Hear the proclamation. You are free. Amen? Amen. Clint, lead us in response.